0: Like reading about ocean creatures. They're crazy. Otherworldly, but actually they make up the bulk of life on Earth. We're the anomaly. If you were to pick the most common thing on Earth, it'd be something in the ocean. Probably microscopic and single-celled. That's the dominant life form. Ocean microbes. Also, I like sharks. They were... But the jellyfish? Well, it's weird because I was always afraid of them when I was swimming. Jellyfish, sharks, anything really. I would totally get in my head whenever I was in the ocean. Because all the oceans are connected, so when you swim in the ocean, you are really swimming with all the sharks and squids and creepy fish and whatever else all at once. Also, I remember seeing a show about great white sharks, how before they attack, they'll bump you. When I swam in the ocean, if the water was kind of murky, I would always think I was getting bumped. Terrified me. Not that a 20-foot shark is hanging out in like 10 feet of water, but I kept feeling the bump, scared of the bump. Jellyfish, also bump, but not on purpose. It's bump. Bump. Bump is a weird word, right? It's attributed to Shakespeare. You always hear that Shakespeare invented all these words. Assassinate. Bump. Zany. But he didn't, really. When the guys started putting together the OED, the Oxford Dictionary, they would try to think of the oldest use of a word. Since they were academics, they all knew Shakespeare. But they didn't know all the other random writing from that time or before because Shakespeare looms so large, he sort of blots out all these legal documents or letters, other plays, poems, whatever else was written. When they made the dictionary, they'd get to a word like bump and say, what's the oldest use I can think of? They'd be like, oh, Shakespeare. they just attribute it to him. They did that a lot. They created a myth that he invented all these words. We just give it to Shakespeare. He didn't invent bump. Probably, it's the present simplifying the past. Give the famous guy the credit, that's easier. And the real bump man or bump woman is lost in the fog of history. Probably wasn't a famous person who first said bump because percentages, lots more not famous people than famous people. My favorite Lincoln quote, God must love the common man because he made so many of them. Though if that's true, then God must really love krill and ocean microbes, bugs. Mushrooms now, that's the dominant everything. Lost causes, like the phone. Oh, that poor phone. I'm looking at its corpse now. The phone is, I've been trying to fix it. Try and give me a call at CZ 895, that's the number written on the phone, and answer the question of the day. How do I fix a phone? I'm sure that will inspire all sorts of calls. Now, an update on a story that I've been following closely. My eyes are almost all purple. I can still see, though the edges are blurry. No,ah, uh, not a purple tint to everything, not that I've noticed, but check back for updates. I haven't done any commercials for a while. Let's do one. Today's show is brought to you by that dream you have where you wake up and you can't remember the dream, but you're panicked and nervous and you don't know why. It's a dream, but you're still filled with fear and dread all the same. Thanks, dreams. Thanks for ruining my day before it starts. If you'd like to try out this and other dreams, try sleeping. Sleeping. It's the new awake. Thanks again to our sponsor, that dream you have where you wake up and you can't remember the dream, but you're panicked and nervous. Now, back to the show. So, there's this jellyfish. Oh, dang it. Dropped my pen. Hold on, I found this pen the other day. It was under one of the steel shelving units. I got bored, so I was trying to move them. I found this pen. I've been doodling all sorts of things. Dinosaurs, tanks, little guys... Maybe I'll decorate, hang them up. There's no tape, so options are limited, but I should make it look nice, the bunker. Maybe one day it'll become a historic site, like a museum, and they can give tours, park rangers, and they can be like, this was the pen that Phil used to rewrite Garfield strips in his 365 page a day Garfield calendar from 2015, which was woefully out of date when he found it. That's sort of true. First. Not my calendar, Kevin's. Also, this is the third pen. I used pen number two for the Garfield calendar editing. That doesn't really matter. I did go back and give John Arbuckle a mustache and all his appearances with this, pen number three. Those of you concerned about pen number one, it didn't have much ink and mostly I use it like a little spear to throw at the wall. Wait, is this pen number one? Did it go under the shelves? Are you pen number one? Maybe the ink was just, huh. Ginny was doing this workshop at the High Museum in Atlanta, and we took a day to go down to Plains, Georgia, where Jimmy Carter was from. It's a nice town, and there's his boyhood home, and it's a national park historic site. We take a tour, and the ranger mentions that Carter likes to come by the house. This is when he was still alive. And he'll move things around, and he would make furniture for the house himself. The ranger points to a bench, and he says, Carter made that. The original one was gone, but he remembered the bench, so he made them one to put there. Later, we were eating peanut fudge in a store that sold everything peanut, and we said how weird it must be for your childhood home to be a historic site. This little shit house in Plains, Georgia. People tour your old home. Imagine Carter doesn't need a ticket. Imagine being the ranger giving a tour with Carter in the group, giving a tour to the guy who grew up in the house. The reason the house is a historic site is right there, smiling and watching you. Weird. Though is it fair that Carter can add things to the house? that he can curate it. He could lean on the history, clean it up a little. Carter was local. He was always around. He even taught Sunday school at the church down the street. That's what was sort of amazing about America in its own dumb way. You never know whose house would become a historic site. It's not predetermined who is going to rule. We're not kings all the way down. Our historic sites are scattered, random, poorly located. A lot of presidents also lost it all, the house or the furniture. Their kids made bad investments, and by the time the house becomes a historic site, it's just a shell. The historic society buys similar furniture, pieces that are true to the time. The dining room table is similar. Imagine, you come back to life, visit your old house, and it's all just similar, but not the same. The art, the china, the bed, it's like yours, but it's not yours. Someone designed this phantom house, guessing at your taste, your style, using Whatever period pieces they could get donated or buy on the cheap, but then again, can you remember your first house? The table, the chairs? Could you put it back together perfectly? We Americans have a lot of little shacks and log cabins in these nowhere places that become historic sites. Also mansions, some nice mansions. But a lot of birth homes are little rundown places. As corrupt and messed up as a lot of our politics were, many can still come from nowhere. They don't even know the exact place Andrew Jackson was born. Two different states claim it because when he was born, he wasn't President Andrew Jackson. He was just some poor screaming baby on a tenant farm. Nixon's birthplace was a house his parents bought out of a magazine. Of course, our patron saint, George Washington, he had a decent house. He came from some money, but the actual birth house is a reconstruction and it's not even on the right spot. Our guy Abe, he gets the log cabin. That's the big one, well, tiny one, but big in myth. They built a whole building around the log cabin, a giant Grecian temple around this little cabin, because if we can't have the birthplace be a temple, we'll build the temple on top of it. It's not even the real log cabin, but myths, and I'm not saying a lot of presidents aren't assholes or whatever, but we don't know who's going to end up historic or how. That's the American myth, the dream. It's misleading, sure. Look, there's a lot more poor people who are born poor, live poor, and die poor. These houses are the exceptions. They keep that myth going that anyone can grow up to be president. At the same time, we present these houses as if their rise to the presidency was inevitable. We like like to have it both ways. We like the great man idea of history because that's easier than a bunch of random forces blowing us this way and that. The sites talk about their childhood, their upbringing. They're framing the story backwards. They know the ending. They trim their life to fit the mold. He did this, then this, then this. Suddenly, bam, he's president. But the chances are slim. In all these years, we've had about 50. Since 1776, that's a small number. And that includes a guy who was just president for 30 days. Think how many people don't become president, including people who ran on major party tickets and got millions of votes, worked their whole life to try and be president. We don't tour their houses. There aren't sites for the losers. Well, Henry Clay's house, but he was pretty important. Ran three times. It's also true. Most presidents are related to each other. (laughs) <laughs> they found out genetically that every president except Martin Van Buren could trace their lineage back to King John, the guy who signed the Magna Carta. Even Obama, Kennedy, Hayes, FDR, TR, all have ancestry back to that king. I don't know what that means exactly. I read it in the New York Times. or I'm not sure if that's like sort of a DNA trick, like how they say 10% of the population is descended from Genghis Khan. Also, what does related mean, how far removed does it still count? We're all related if we go back far enough. But it's still weird. Ginny and I would visit presidential sites. History can be so. She almost fought a lady at the Truman Little White House in Key West because the lady was talking shit about FDR. And FDR is Jesus to Ginny, if she believed in Jesus. She didn't come down until we got to sit and pet some of those six-toed cats at the Hemingway house. Then we had some key lime pie, and that was nice. I think Ginny was just upset because her mom was dying from kidney disease, and the trip was supposed to be a break from from all that. Presidents get these little shrines, museums that organize random events into the inevitable history of the great man. Except Zachary Taylor, there are no historic sites for him. I'm not sure why. Now most of the presidential sites are... Mushroom food, all those pins, banners, and campaign posters destroyed by fungus. I ate Ike, Nixon's the yum, tippecanoe, and shiitakes too. It's the enoki, stupid. A moment of silence. So the jellyfish, the one I was talking about before it's- wait, one last thing on presidential sites, President Grant. Let's get some music. This is different, right? Have we? It was never this You've heard it This is This is Maybe it's the spores in my brain Eating my President Grant At the end of his life Was dying of throat cancer He couldn't speak He was broke He was worried about his family How could he take care of them financially After he was gone He got invited to this health spa In upstate New York the owner put him up for free because he was a president and it was good publicity. Also, Grant was able to sell his memoirs thanks to a deal brokered by Mark Twain. Because history is full of famous people helping famous people. But he had to finish them to get the payment. Grant is basically in a race with death. Can he get his memoirs done before the cancer kills him? He writes, he writes, he does it. Gets them to the publisher, makes his money, then dies. Because we all do he's buried in Grant's tomb in case anyone asks you who's buried in Grant's tomb you can why is that a thing is that still a thing when I was a kid they'd always ask who's buried in Grant's tomb it was like a joke it's probably from a movie or something but I never it's just another forgotten piece it's hard to tell a story that doesn't have that you need context for I guess all of this Who's President Grant? What's a president? How does a book deal work? Context and history, it's... I hope you can at least piece this story together with context clues. Like when you see a Shakespeare play and you understand maybe 60% of what's going on, you get the basic idea, the gist. This is all gist. This is the gist of my life. My stories, memories, regrets, fears. I'm just giving it to you, so hopefully you can hold on to it. It's my memoirs. Grant's memoirs are published, but he died in that cottage at the Health Spa Hotel. The moment he dies, his son stops the clock on the mantle. His pipe is on the bedside table. His jar of cocaine medicine is on the shelf. It's left frozen in that moment, and you could go visit it up until the whole, it was left just as it was when he died. The pipe, the cocaine, the clock, a museum, a memorial, Eventually, the health hotel would go out of business, but the shrine of sorts stayed. They'd have a caretaker who'd watch the property and show visitors around. It just so happened in the 1910s or something that this Japanese woman came and fell in love with the site. She became the caretaker. Then World War II happened. The government, even though she dedicated her life to overseeing this cottage, was worried about her. They placed her under house arrest in the caretaker's house. Her radio was taken away. Even though she loved this place, this country, She still gave tours even though she was basically a prisoner. After the war, she was taken off house arrest and she kept taking care of the cottage. Even after all that, she was loyal to the house. Then almost 100 years to the day that Grant died, she herself died of throat cancer. The caretaker of history became history. The cottage remained. World kept changing. The health spa land was turned into a prison. They set up the prison fence around the cottage. If you wanted to visit the cottage, you had to sign in at the prison gate. Even as progress moves forward, we preserve these islands of history and try to keep them in context, but context changes. Grant was in the prison of his illness in a cottage that became a prison for a Japanese woman that became a prison for all the offenders caught up in the Rockefeller drug laws. once, it was just an outbuilding in a hell spot. Before that, it was just a grassy hill. We can't see it all. We can't take all of the history of even that small parcel of land and view it at once. For the dinosaurs, it was not even a hill. It wasn't even where it was because the continents were somewhere else. We think there's a permanence to history, to geography, to everything, but things weren't what they were longer than they were what they are. Am I making sense? Sorry, my. I'm really hot. It... Is it hot where you are? Call in. Aren't we supposed to meet? Didn't you say. Why is the phone broken? What was I. Sorry, I'm not. Let me, uh. Hold on. Don't worry, only only got a bit overheated. I'm the jellyfish. Yeah, (laughs) the jellyfish. It's really interesting because do you remember when they started having jellyfish at the aquariums? Like those big round takes with the jellyfish? Ginny hated zoos and aquariums. She thought it was bad. I liked them. I thought they were cool. Except for one thing They'd have this little room And the sign would say See the most dangerous creature to life in the oceans You are so excited Great white shark Giant squid Loch Ness monster What was it? You go in and it's just a mirror And it's us Humans Because we're the worst We slaughter so much Now maybe it'd be a mushroom Think about it though Think about how much shrimp you see at the grocery store and then think about how many grocery stores there are around the world. How much shrimp we must take. That's just shrimp. How much life is in the ocean? They're still there and and we're still grabbing so much. You don't see shrimp much in aquariums. Maybe a couple. You see more shrimp in a restaurant than in an aquarium. I guess that makes sense. But zoos. I also really liked the tapir. We had this local zoo in a county park. It was like 90 percent livestock, a cow, some goats, but they had this tapir. It would just trot around and then wave its nose in the air. It has a prehensile nose. That was cool. But Ginny, she was, she went on this class trip to Berlin in high school, which is crazy that they do that. My class trip, senior year, we didn't have one because Sam Vaselli caused this whole thing to happen with the fire alarm and they decided to punish the whole class, but our big trip the year before was to Philadelphia. It was boring. The biggest excitement happened when we were being marched from the bus to the Franklin Mint and these two homeless guys started fighting. Then Alan Chang yells out, I thought this was the city of brotherly love. We didn't even get a cheesesteak, but she went to Germany, Berlin. Her class went to the aquarium at some point. Ginny was walking around when she came into this one room. There was all these open tanks that were showing like I don't know, shorelines or something, and she sees this little thing wriggling on the ground. It's a fish. She sees that it came from one of the tanks and she scoops up the little fish and puts it back. The fish, she swears this is true. It like swims to look at her and it gives her this look like you messed up. Like the fish was telling her it wanted to kill itself because aquarium life was so terrible, which is nonsense, but to her it was real. I wasn't there. Maybe she found a fish that had such high cognitive thought that it could contemplate its own existence, its own place in the universe, and decided that it wasn't worth living. And she also became a vegan for like six months, but then one day she broke down, snuck out of her house, went to an all-night diner, and ordered a cheeseburger. Because cheeseburgers? These are the stories we tell ourselves. I had this thing, a shoebox, growing up, and I called it my special jar. I know it wasn't a jar, it was a box, but... I would put things in it, things that had value to me. I had a cork from a wine bottle my parents drank because I thought it was cool and it smelled nice. A spoon, some interesting rocks, one of my mom's necklaces that I would pretend was pirate treasure. This show, this, is my special jar. I'm filling it with all these things. I'm not even sure why, at times. Or if they have value, or if they're faux, or real. I'm just i'm just trying to fill it for you for me for after this is our life my life your life we are scared so much of the time well maybe it's just me i'm scared to show it to anyone that they'd look through it and realize it was all a thin patina city of brass it's something i felt for a long time Something that in high school I couldn't name. I didn't know what it was. I remember that I had this Swiss Army knife that had like 30 different things. My uncle gave it to me. I I don't know why. I I would open the various knives, corkscrews, wrenches, whatever, like really late at night. I'd, I'd hurt myself. I'd squeeze my finger in the wrench. I'd cut my leg with the knives. I'd even poke myself with the toothpick. Nothing was. I never told anyone that. I loved Ginny so much. Beckett, you'd think once he was born, he and he did so very much, but there would still be nights. I'd wake up and slink out of bed and sit in the kitchen table in the dark, in the quiet, just the sink dripping, that drip I could never fix. Once in a while, a car would drive by, and i think, I could just drive away, and I could go somewhere. It would, I wouldn't be a bother. I wouldn't keep feeling this. It would just go from being something to to being nothing. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Not then, not now, not really. But you still have that pain. You push past it. You try. You go on. Because there is so much beauty. You smother it with beauty. With her smile. With his laugh. With that moment on the couch, just sitting next to each other, not saying anything, but feeling a sense of home that you never thought was possible, I can pull that feeling out of the past, and I still live in it at night on the cot when the coffin keeps me awake. I will die. I am... I feel it. I've already seen the first few mushrooms pushing through my skin. I've plucked them off. Plucked. (laughs) What a dumb word. It sounds so... I plucked them off. Sounds almost pleasant. I thought about eating them. Would it be cannibalism? Self-cannibalism? They grew off my body. They stole my body to make them, these little milky white mushrooms. Look at you. They say humans are closer genetically to mushrooms than mushrooms are to plants. I don't know what that means. There's this quote uh, at the Natural History Museum in New York in their Hall of African Peoples, which, that's a whole other mess. Why African art is in a natural history museum, I know why. I am why. My people, white. I know the museum sent out people to collect other cultures, to preserve them. They even... Here we go. Right. Yeah, they, uh, at one point in the 1800s, I think, They sent someone, I forget who, a famous explorer to Greenland because they found the Greenlandic natives were using iron tools. Even though they didn't have iron making technology, they had like iron daggers. This guy figures out that they were getting the iron from these meteorites that had crashed in Greenland. He takes them, the meteorites, because science and for the good of whatever and brings them to New York. But he also brings along some Greenlanders because science and for the good of whatever, and one of them is this little boy. He's like eight or whatever. It's him and his dad and like five other Greenlanders. Most of them get sick right away because they go from living in Greenland to New York City, which is filthy and is like the melting pot of diseases. Most of them die, but the kid and his dad survive for a little while. The kid is like, send me back to Greenland. The scientists say, no, you live here, go to our school, learn our stuff. Then his dad dies. The museum curators tell the kid that they sent the body back to Greenland. Send me back too. No. The kid is still there, and I don't know if he's living in the museum or just goes there a lot because he doesn't know anyone else, but at one point he goes and he looks at the Greenland exhibit and there's a skeleton on display. He finds out that's his father on display in the museum. He's like, send his bones back. The museum is like, but science, and for the good of whatever. And eventually, the kid goes back to Greenland. He lives his life. He dies. Eventually, the museum does send the bones back, like the fucking 1990s. Yeah. I love that museum, but fuck that museum. That's not even what I wanted to... This is what my whole life is. I collect these stories, these, these bits of things. I just tell them to you, because... I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I don't know why I've collected this. Some people know all about sports or or, or comic books or whatever. I'm this. I'm this wide, shallow pool of knowledge. Right, Nebby? Right. Yeah, because I have this. I used to think knowing all this made me smart, but hoarding knowledge doesn't mean shit if you don't do anything with it. I I never knew what to do with all these things. The special jar full of... Maybe I was supposed to be sharing it. The whole point wasn't to hoard, be smug, but to give it all away. I've been curating it like a museum, but no, I need to set all the fish free, return the mummies to Egypt. Take it. Maybe you can use it. Maybe you can think of me when you... when, Because owning it has done fuck all to help me. To save us? To beat back those shroomy pieces of shit? Have I been doing it wrong this whole time? Oh, fuck the jellyfish. I haven't even gotten... Okay, that, but first, first I wanted to say there was this quote at the entrance to the hall, it's like an African proverb, it goes, one is born, one dies, the land increases. There you go. I get it, I sort of, it's saying life goes on, but like the last part, the land increases, what is that? Does it mean like, even though you die, you are still there, so the new birth adds and the death doesn't subtract because of something? I like the quote, but... I like the quote because it's so matter-of-fact. Death. Life. That's it. It just is. The land increases. Like, I I want it to mean, like, and we carry on, but that's not really what it's saying. Increases? Is it just a bad translation? Is it just, like, the fucking Constance Garnett hack job translation of that saying? Or is it saying something that I'm too stupid to get? Or is it that the land increases because the dead body goes back to the land? Then if the one is born, does it decrease? Or can land only increase because the one that's born will go back into the land also? It's like that stupid riddle with the fox and the chicken and the bag of grain, and you have that boat, the dead one, the born one, and the land increasing. It's like some sort of metaphysical math. That saying sticks in my head. For years, decades now, I'll wake up and lean against the metal shelves because they get kind of cold and it's nice against my back, and I'll just, under my breath, start saying, One is born, one dies, the land increases. It's not just now. When I used to go running around the park in my town, or in line at Starbucks, or late at night watching Beckett sleep, or ringing someone up at the bookstore, eating dinner, it would just cycle through my head One is born, one dies, the land increases. I just I just wanted to tell you that. I just. I just wanted to tell you that before I'm gone. Not that I'm. I'm going to do this for as long as I can, as best I can. But I want. I want to share that. Give it away. The words written, one of those bits of poetry that stick. The words written on the mummy's wrappings. One is born, one dies the land increases. I can't go on. I'll go on. It's best not to have been born, but having been born, it is to die soon. Unless you don't die at all, like that jellyfish. The jellyfish! Ah! Tied it up! Okay! The jellyfish! This is going to be a big letdown because I built it up way too much. There's this jellyfish that's immortal. Now, a jellyfish has several life stages. It starts out this tiny thing, then changes into something, then something else, and eventually looks like a jellyfish with the tentacles and the clear dome body thing. But this jellyfish, when it gets old, it just shrinks back and becomes the baby form again, then goes through its whole life cycle again, then again, forever, unless a fish eats it. It gets to keep just living again. How is that fair? How is that a thing? I remember when I was a kid, I found out that turtles can live to be hundreds of years old or that there is coral that lives to be 4,000. How is that fair? A dog gets 15 years, give or take. A dog is great, it's a dog. We get, we get 80 years, about 100, if we're really lucky. Less now, a lot less. Let's talk for a second about how they say the average lifespan 200 years ago or whatever was like 30 or 40. That's bullshit. People live the same as we did, but there was a super high infant mortality rate. That skewed the numbers. As long as you made it out of childhood, it was basically the same as, not now, with a but. It's one of those things you hear, but it's not really true. It is technically true, but it's, you need a footnote because numbers are, numbers are tricky. Mrs. Conwell, my math teacher, used to say statistics are like prostitutes. Once you get them down, you can do whatever you want with them. I had a crush on her. She had these squeaky leather shoes that I just, why am I telling you this? Anyway, this redwood tree gets to live through all this history, all this, and, and we get what we get. But would history just happen slower if we live that long? If our lives were a thousand years, would we just make things happen slower? If we live 10 years, would we just do the same stuff quicker? Because our time was shorter, so we'd have to go faster, be faster. I'm not sure if we'll have 40 days together or a minute or what kind of minute it'll be, but I'll be here next time. I need to. I should go, but I know if I go, I'll look in the mirror and I'll see how much further my body is slipping away from my control, from my, from, but it's going to be, it'll be fine. It'll be good. At the end of the day, here I am, Heneni, and the land increases. The land, the land increases, no matter what. The land increases with this, with you, with me. A jellyfish is born. A jellyfish is born again. The land increases. A tree falls in the wood and no one is around. The land increases. Your eyes turn purple and mushrooms push their way through your skin, the land increases. Your wife cries because her favorite dress doesn't fit anymore, the land increases. A museum kidnaps you and displays your father's bone, the land increases. You bury your son, the land increases. The government imprisons you in a presidential historic site, the land increases. I love you, the land increases. A fish attempts suicide, the land increases. I miss you so much. The land increases I'm scared the land increases They're going to think things that aren't things. The land increases. 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 The land increases.